Så om en. Alright, let's go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I don't know where I get these titles from, but God just works this thing out. So tonight we're going to look at the subject matter of don't flinch. Don't flinch. So in John chapter 10, most of us know this wonderful verse, but we'll keep reading it anyway, keep building it in our minds and hearts. And it says here in John 10:10, and Jesus Christ says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it, how? More abundantly. So we see right here in one verse the great spiritual battle, the great spiritual conflict that is raging. It is the thief who is the adversary, the devil, uh, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Then there's the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to bring us life and to bring it to us more abundantly. So as I was thinking about this, the adversary has to have a means or an avenue by way to steal, kill, and destroy. He's got to get us somehow cooperating with his game plan in order to be able to steal, kill, and destroy in our lives and to do that uh, in the midst or with other people as well. And so the means by way the adversary, the devil, gets you and I is to cause us to flinch. Now I'm going to give you these terms or definitions and you'll see where I'm going with this. The word flinch, I came up with two great definitions. The first one is it means to withdraw or shrink from or as if from pain. That's what it means to flinch. The second definition, let me give you the first one again, to withdraw or shrink from or as if it were from pain. And then the second one is more of a medical term. It means to tense the muscles involuntarily in anticipation of pain. That's what it means is to flinch. You know, every now and then I see kids playing around with each other and one may act like they're about to hit the other one and then they, what do they do? They flinch. Yeah. See, it's, it's anticipating discomfort. <laughs> it's anticipating something that's going to come. Well, the adversary's objective is to get you and I to flinch mentally. To get us to withdraw. To get us to shrink back from the greatness of God's word. And so he does that to get us in our minds to get off the word. He wants us to withdraw or shrink in our believing mindset. He wants us to draw back or recoil from the promises of God. See how that works? So adversary is always trying to get us to flinch. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to show you tonight what I call the flinching moment. And so you'll know what you need to do in that given moment. So in Romans chapter 4, I'm going to look at the great example of Abraham here. Romans chapter 4 and in verse 20 is where we'll start. And it says, And he, that's Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith or believing giving glory to who? God. God. And then verse 21, and being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able to do what? 
perform. So notice it says Abraham did not stagger. Another way of saying that is that Abraham did not flinch. Think about it that way. He did not flinch at the promise of God through what? Unbelief. So I had to think this through. If you remember this many, many years ago, we learned there's, there's more than one definition, but two pr predominant definitions of unbelief is one is um, not having heard enough to believe. That's one aspect of unbelief. The other aspect of unbelief is having heard enough but refusing to believe. This particular unbelief here is not having heard enough. So if you put that together and you really think about it, it says something deep and profound about Abraham in his day and time. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, which means Abraham did not allow himself to get in a position where he did not know what to do. When you don't know what to do, what happens? You stagger. You're not sure what to do. When you don't know what to do, what are you going to do mentally? Flinch. Mm -hmm. See? But in his day and time, Abraham made sure whatever the word of God was for him in his day and time, he knew what to do. That's a great lesson for you and I. If we don't want to flinch, if we don't want to draw back and recoil, we need to know what the promises of God are. We need to know what we can do to continue to stand on the word. And it says the rest of that verse 20, but... Abraham was strong in faith or strong in believing, giving glory to God. Now, verse 21 is what I call the flinching moment. There's a moment in time in which everyone flinches. And I'm going to pinpoint for you when that time period is so you'll know what to do. And it's right here in verse 21. And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised, he, God, was able also to do what? Perform. Perform. Now, you don't necessarily see it here in the written word, but there is a chasm or a gap between what God promises and then him performing. Okay? What God promises and then what he performs. So there's a gap. You see how my hands are spelled apart? Something's missing in there. And guess what it is? It's your believing. See? It's your believing. You got to fill the gap between the promise of God and God performing it with your believing. And it's at that moment when God promises in that gap time that we're talking about, that is where we flinch. Because God has promised, we haven't seen it materialize, we haven't seen it come to pass, so guess what happens? You start doubting. You start shrinking. You start recoiling back from what God originally promised to you. See, it's the flinching moment. Now I have some Legos here, <laughs> thanks to my assistant, my lovely <laughs> wife, and just show you another way of looking at it. So I got a green Lego, yellow, and red. So let's say, for instance, the red Lego represents the promise of God, if you guys can see that. And let's say that the green one represents the performance of God. But there's a gap. It's just hanging there. So how do I get these two connected? There has to be something that connects the two of them together. The ye yellow Lego represents what? Believing. So it goes in between there. See, I haven't played with Legos in a while. And then they snap together. Now they're all connected. It would also, another way of looking at it, you ever seen a train? 
where one uh, cart has to be connected to another and there's something that connects them, the two together. That terminology is called a linchpin, something that connects the two together. That's the flinching moment for us. When God promises something in his word and then you and I have to wait, we have to endure, and we have to believe for God to bring his word to pass, right? Because everything isn't snap your finger. Because if it was, boy, life would be great for us, wouldn't it? But because we have an adversary, and because we have an old man nature, and because we have the systems of the world ran by the adversary, he's always out to hinder you getting to the promise of God. So that's why at points in times, you may like, man, it took me three years before I could get this. So what? The end result is what? You got it. See, the adversary tries to talk you out of it. Well, I don't know if I can wait any longer. But there it is, right there in verse 21. There's your, there is the flinching moment. It's when God promises, and then we have to wait, or we have to endure to get it. Does that make sense? All right. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'll show you this further. Other things that you can feel in that waiting period, in that flinching moment. Hebrews chapter 10. And something else I want you guys to know, because I've been thinking about this, because you live in a world where people guess they don't know. You may even hear Christians say, well, you just never know. That's a lie. We can know, right? Because we got the word, we got the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we can get revelation from the Father if we need it. So why are we keep, well, you never know. No, that's not true. We got all this written word of God to master, and then wherever in society or in life where the word may terminate or seems to fall short, we got revelation from God to know exactly what to do in that situation or whatever the situation may be for you. And I'm going to show you that tonight when we go to John 8 and look at the example of Jesus Christ with the woman caught in adultery. You're going to see where he went as far as he could with the written word of God and then he had to sort of like reach into daddy's cookie jar. Hey father, what's going on here? And God shows him exactly what to do. You guys got that? Mm-hmm. So in Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 35. That's where we'll start. And verse 35 says, cast not away, therefore, your what? Confidence. confidence. But here's the question. Confidence in what? God in his word, right? So guess what confidence has to be? It has to be a part of helping you not flinch. A person who's not confident is going to flinch. They're going to recoil. They're going to shrink. They're going to draw back from the greatness of God's word. But when you got confidence, what are you going to do? You're going to stand. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. Now, here's my word coming up here. For ye have need of what? Patience. patience. Another word for patience is endurance. You have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the what? Promise. Promise. After you've done the will of God, you've got to endure in order that you might receive what? The promise. But if you shrink, if you recoil, if you flinch, the adversary is going to rob it from you. He's looking for that moment when you're going to flinch. Wow. Verse 37. It says, for yet a little while, <laughs> even though it doesn't feel like that to us, <laughs> it feels like a long time. But God says, yet for a little while, 
And he that shall come will come and will not what? Tarry or delay. Verse 38. Now the just or the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Faith or believing. What are you supposed to live by? Believing. If you try to live life by any other means other than believing, you will flinch. Because believing is the only thing that's going to keep you from shrinking, keep you from losing your confidence. And if you track the word, this, this phraseology, now the just shall live by faith, appears multiple times in the word. Multiple times. The first, first one, I believe, is in the Old Testament, Habakkuk. And then in the opening of the book of Romans, Paul brings it up where he says, the just shall absolutely beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt shall live by believing. That's what we're supposed to live by. Huh. Now the just shall live by faith, by believing. But if any man draw back, if any man flinch, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now that's God talking. This is a valuable lesson I learned today. Does it say God doesn't love you? No. God can still love you, but still have displeasure with your behavior. Or still have displeasure with your unbelief. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. He just doesn't like that you're not believing. <laughs> you know, I give you all this word. I give you the manifestations. You can come together in a fellowship meeting. Hear the greatness of God's word. Hear the manifestations that are to encourage you and build you up. So this is why God says, if you draw back, my soul has no what? No pleasure. Didn't say he didn't love you. Right? We love our kids. That's the best way I know how to handle this from now on. I just don't have pleasure in what you're doing, son. I just don't have pleasure in what you're doing, daughter. It doesn't mean I don't love you. And God does it the same way. You just have to show people that's what the word says. Guess what? God loves people who may even be involved in homosexuality. But he doesn't have any pleasure in what they're doing. That's the difference. And they always want to bring up that argument. Are you trying to say God doesn't love me? Never said that. God just thinks what you're doing stinks. That your behavior is way off the word and he's trying to save your life. Right? Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean that at all. You just need to get your mind renewed and get back so God can not only love you but have what? Pleasure. Remember the great record after Jesus Christ is baptized? This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. See how all that fits together? Because Jesus Christ did the word. Verse 39, but, in contrast, he says, but we are not of them who draw back. We are not of them who shrink. We are not of them who flinch unto what? Perdition. perdition. And guess what perdition means? Destruction. See? So, at some point in time, if I get in the habit of constantly drawing back from the word, eventually I'm going to run into the consequence of that. And God says that's going to be destruction. Mm -hmm. If I keep drawing, I'm not saying if you draw back once, that you're automatically going to go on destruction. That can't be it. It's a habit pattern of constantly drawing back from the word, shrinking from the word, shrinking from your calling, shrinking from your responsibility who God made you in Christ because whatever reason. I don't know why. It's different for all of us. But if I get in the habit of shrinking back from that, God says it's going to go to perdition or destruction but we're not of them who draw back unto perdition but of them that believe to the saving of what the soul we want to believe to the end that our very soul is saved 
our minds, our heart, our will, our intellect. Then we want to believe to the end that we can go save another soul. See how that works? Don't shrink. That's what God is trying to tell us tonight. We don't want to shrink from this stuff. And of course, the adversary is always trying to add pressure. So with the remaining time I got tonight, I want to look at three examples of people who did not shrink. Okay? Three examples, and they'll be fairly quick. And the examples of those who didn't flinch, you're going to see they built believing as a habit. I've been talking here lately with some people after fellowship because we've been looking at all these great records. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's one of my examples. In fact, that's the first example. I just taught on that a week ago. Now, you don't get to the point in life where you're faced with going into the fire and that you can automatically trump up believing. That would be called emergency believing. That emergency, hit a button, ah, I believe, I got it, I got it. No, 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 no. Believing becomes a habit, but so does unbelief. So these three Hebrew boys built believing into their life so that when the day came that they had to face something huge, they didn't flinch because they spent their day-by-day -day moment building believing. Just doesn't happen. You just doesn't, you know... It can even be in a sport. I used to watch my son play baseball. We used to talk about habits, especially when hitting the baseball. Certain habits you got to have. How he had to keep his front shoulder steady. How he had to keep his head uh, straight and looking at the ball. And we used to talk about seeing yourself with the bat cutting the baseball in half. And you could just and he just start building that habit. So guess what? At moments and times when he was playing little league baseball. I used to love to watch it because the bases would be loaded, and here he is on deck. And I used to look at my wife, and I said, here comes a grand slam. And she used to say, you're just saying that because that's your son. I was like, watch. The pressure's on. The team is down behind. But because he built believing habits, certain times, knocked the ball off the park. Grand slam. Why? Because he built great habits at the plate as a baseball player. What can we do day by day? If you've never played baseball before, more than likely you're not going to be able to get up to the plate, hold a baseball bat with somebody throwing 70, 80 miles per hour and knock it out the park. If you haven't built habits, it's the same way. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They built the habit of believing in their lives so that when the fire of the adversary arose on that day, they could still be cool. They didn't have to flinch. They knew what they were going to believe. And remember what we learned last week. They said, even if God can't deliver us, we're still not going to bend or bow. We're still not going to flinch. The second great example that I thought of as someone who did not flinch would be the man David. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here's a great example of a man not flinching. I would have had a hard time here, so I'm glad it was David, not me. And you guys know I refer to this record quite a bit because it's one of my favorite ones to read. And so we'll read it tonight. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we're going to start in verse 1. Everyone there? Mm -hmm. yes. It says in, in verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. 
Now think, if a city is burned with fire, won't you, won't you be able to see the smoke in the air a long way away? So they're traveling, got their armor on, and then they look up ahead, hey, isn't that uh, where we live? <laughs> There's smoke. So I can imagine probably as they got closer, they may even started running because they're trying to see what is going on. Then you get there and your home, your wives, your sons, and your daughters are gone. That's the moment they're facing. Now, is this not a flinching moment? This is a this is a knee knocking moment. This is a teeth rattling chatter moment. But watch what happens. Verse four. Then David and the people. These are the men of war that were with him. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. That's some serious crying. And these are men of war. And they cried till they had no more strength. You ever had that situation? I, I've had that where you cry and then you just want to go sleep for about 10 hours because everything in you is spent. That's what they were doing here. And then you see here in verse 5, not only were their children gone, the word says that David's wives were gone. And then we get here to the great verse 6. And David was had great joy. <laughs> no. So guess what? Obviously, being in a distressed moment in time can't be sin necessarily. It's a temptation to sin is what it is. So every now and then, if you got some distress, you got it, right? Take ownership of it. I got some distress. I'm not going to stay here, though. I'm going to go to May. I'm going to go to Tammy. I'm going to go to somebody that's going to help me get out of the situation. It's okay. But where we get in trouble as believers is sometimes we always want to make it be great. No matter how bad things are going, we're always like, oh, it's great. And guess what happens then? How the adversary fools you. You don't say nothing. You're going through hell on the inside, but you won't say nothing and open your mouth so you can get some help because you want to always put on the positive smiling face. It's okay when you're not always smiling and things are rough sometimes. The word says Jesus Christ was tempted in all manners like we, yet what? Without sin. So guess what? Jesus Christ must have been at points in times distressed. He must have had points in times where depression was starting to creep up the back of his head or in his heart. See how that works? And David was greatly, verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Wow. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David did what? Encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's what you do at the flinching moment. You encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Whether that is speaking in tongues, praying with your understanding, whether that's getting in the word and reading the word, whether that's uh, singing songs, making melody in your own heart, whatever it takes to get yourself encouraged, that's what you do. And every now and then you're going to have to do that. Right? Mm -hmm. Ever had those moments? Mm -hmm. You love your spouse, but they can't encourage you. No matter what they're saying, it's not working. You try to go hug your kid. <laughs> Still, it's not working. Every now and then, it's going to be you and who? The yeah. Father. See, and you just keep encouraging yourself. And I'm not going to read all this record, but the rest of the record was that David encouraged himself, um, asked the Father, asked God, should we pursue after these guys who took 
our wives and our children? God said, yeah, pursue. And David found them. And guess what happened? <sighs> he took care of house. He cleaned them up. He, he killed them because that was, was the directive of the father. And they said he won everything back. So there was not a wife lost. There was not a son or a daughter lost. But if David had flinched, might have not only lost his own life, but he might have lost all these people who were with him. Because these men says, because of their distress and because they were hurt, they were ready to stone David. But guess what? That is also called. That comes with being part of being leadership. David was the leader. Sometimes the buck has to stop with the leader. And so when things weren't working out well, well, we had followed you, David, into battle. Now we come back to our home and our wives and our children are gone and everything we got is burned. So who was being held responsible? David. So David was like, I better go talk to God. <laughs> I better go get some encouragement. I better learn to encourage myself in this word. So, I, you know, so David wouldn't flinch. Isn't that great? And then my last example here, and we're going to get to it, is the great example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never flinched. He might have been tempted to, but he never flinched. When he spoke the word, he did not flinch. When he brought healing and deliverance to others, he did not flinch. And my question I was asking myself, why not? You know why? Because, God, because Jesus Christ's focus was not on himself, it was on God. Jesus Christ's focus was not necessarily on other people wondering what they thought of him. His focus was on God. He was more God conscious than he was self conscious. Mm -hmm. And that's what you and I have to do. You and, if, if you and I worry about what this world thinks of us, you will flinch. In fact, I'm going to show you right now a verse where the world, the unsafe says that you stink. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you that from the word. So if the unsaved say we stink, then why should I worry about what they think of me? That's a question. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Wow, I'm in this grocery line. And if I pray for this person, I wonder what the people behind me are going to think. That comes up. Those temptations, maybe. Maybe I'm just talking to myself. That stuff comes up. Look at here, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make of manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet Savior of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the Savior of death unto death, <laughs> and to the other the Savior of life unto life. Now, let me show you this even clearer in a couple other translations. It'll make more sense to you here. Now listen to this. This is out of the uh, Message Bible. And it says in verse 15, starting there, just listen. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Mm -hmm. Through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. But watch this. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench 
from a rotten corpse. <laughs> Look at the vividness of that translation. See, because to the world, the unsaved, <laughs> we stink. They don't like us. So why should I waste my time worrying about what they think of me? You know, I don't like the tie you wear, Don, so now I'm not wearing ties. Or I got to go wear this color tie. It doesn't make any sense. Listen to this one now out of the Good News translation. I'm going to read the same verses. It says it just real similar. It says, but thanks be to God, for in union with Christ, we are always led by God as prisoners in Christ's victory procession. God uses us to make the knowledge about Christ spread everywhere like a sweet fragrance. For we are like a sweet-smelling incense offered by Christ to God, which spreads among those who are being saved and those who are being lost. For those who are being lost, it is a deadly stench that kills. But for those who are being saved, it is a fragrance that brings life. Look at that. That's what the world thinks of us. But those who are saved who have this word, they love us just like we love each other, right? But guess what? As a believer, they stench to us too, huh? <laughs> You've been around unbelievers long enough? They don't, yeah, let me move on. <laughs> let me move on. So let's look now at the Lord Jesus Christ and this great example of him in John chapter 8. You guys know this record. This is the record of the woman caught in adultery. And here's was the opportunity for Jesus Christ to flinch. And let's look at what he does. You guys are all there? Faster than I am. Give me a second. Oh my God, it is great. So I can't always trust on technology, can you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> John chapter 8, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to start at verse 1. Ah, my iPad is working. Got it. All right. John chapter, John chapter 8, verse 1. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. So he's in the midst of a teaching segment here, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery when they had set her in the midst. So Jesus Christ is teaching. There's a crowd there, and they're bringing this woman, and they throw her down basically right in his midst. Well, I, first of all, they're out of order. Because they're disrupting him. So that's the first problem. <laughs> that's the first problem. But watch how this moves on. And then um, verse 4 says, They say unto him, Now watch this religious stuff. Master. They didn't believe Jesus Christ was master. That's not why they were there. They were there to try to get him caught up to trap him in his own words. But they used a nice religious terminology. They call him master. This woman <laughs> was taken in adultery in the very act. I wonder how that happened. Just something to think about. Because if you look at the law, if she was caught in adultery, that means there was somebody there with her, right? How come they didn't bring the man too? That's what the law would have commanded, not just to drag the woman there. Both of them should have been there. That should have, I'm sure they got Jesus Christ's attention right away. Well, where's the guy? <laughs> You're bringing this woman before me. I'm sure that's probably the stuff he was thinking. Now watch what they say. Quickly, they moved to the man Moses, verse 5. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, look at God showing the heart of the people. This they said, tempting him 
that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Guess what he was doing? Like a Rolodex, quickly flipping through his mind what the Old Testament records would have said. And in this given situation, they felt like they had him boxed in. Because that is what Moses said in the law. And so they got him. All these people are here. They're watching him. Jesus Christ is at his flinching moment. If he flinches here, the whole thing gets what? Destroyed. He breaks the law. That means he's not the Messiah. And God basically has to start the process over again. We have to find another Messiah. So while he's down there stooping on the ground, riding in the dirt, who do you think he's talking to? God. He's getting peaceful and he's getting a solution from God. Now watch what happens when he gets the solution. Verse 7. So while he's still stooping down, riding on the ground. So when they continued asking him. Can you see that? He's stooping in the ground. What do you say? What do you say, master? Can't you hear us? What do you say? That's what they were doing to him because it says, so they continue asking him. Now watch this. He lifted, he lifted up himself. So now he's about to give an answer and he stands. Now watch this. This is a thunderbolt that he goes back at him. And he said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Has anyone ever confronted you and then right behind it, you silence? <laughs> and you're like, whoo, that's happened to me. You get confronted. You know they've hit you right between the eyes with the word, and then they get silent, and you're just sitting there. Like, oh, God. That's exactly what happened to these men. Jesus Christ knew he got them, but guess what? He didn't violate the word. He simply took it and put it back on them. That was the revelation God gave him. He knew exactly what to say. So at his flinching moment, Jesus Christ didn't shrink. He didn't recoil. Where did he go? To the Father to get the answer. Now watch how the rest of this goes. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Can you see that picture? Every last man started walking away. They started walking away. Guess they knew not to mess with him after that too many more times. When Jesus had lifted, verse 10, and when Jesus had lifted himself up, saw none but the woman, and he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee, Go and sin no more. Isn't that wonderful? Even though he did not uh, condemn, he also held her accountable, didn't he? Because he said, go and do what? Sin no more. He still held her accountable. Even with love, you still can hold people accountable. Isn't that great? So you see, Jesus Christ even had a moment when he could have flinched. He could have drew back. He could have got afraid. He could have said, Oh my God, I don't know any Old Testament record that fits with this. Oh! Right? But what did he do? He went to God. See, revelation begins where the written word of God ends. See how that works? So, so everything we can know from the written word, we're supposed to know. 
But then there will be times in which the word doesn't cover a particular situation. But then, like we taught, you can just, at points in time, reach up into daddy's cookie jar and see what daddy has for you. But if you reach up and there's nothing there, guess what? Ain't meant for you to know, right? Because the word still says the secret things of God still belongs to him. It's not for us to always know. So God's command to us tonight is don't flinch, but be strong in believing, driving yourself to the word that you may not have to flinch due to not knowing. When tempted to flinch, go to the word and encourage yourself just like David did. When tempted to flinch, have patience and endurance because our God cannot lie. And if he promised, he will perform it just like he said. And when we get tempted, we're not to shrink, but we're to stand with a believing mindset, knowing that God is going to bring it to pass. That's what I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. <laughs>